Now, we're going to start empowered by Holy Spirit. And I just encourage you to take some time over the next few weeks to read through John, and particularly chapters 14, 15, and 16, and just keep reading, keep chewing over, because there's a, there's a degree of repetition in those chapters about what Jesus says. We're going to explore a little bit of that today. But the more you feed on the word directly yourselves, the more you're going to get that spirit of truth, that revelation coming from his word to understand this relationship between you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's intrinsic to where we want to journey uh, through this series. Okay. So we're going to look today and see if we can explore these relationships of the person of God himself and uh, God's personal presence and God's empowering presence. Now, it looks to me like I've probably sent David a different PowerPoint presentation to the one I've got in front of me. Okay, It's, it's an earlier version... And I think the one I've emailed to you, David, doesn't contain the attributes of what I'm going to do. So let's just kill that for the minute and we'll see if we can, we can do something with it later on. Okay? There we go. Free of PowerPoint. Free at last. I'm free at last. Hallelujah. I'm free at last. There we go. <laughs> okay. There's this thing that Holy Spirit loves to indwell that sits in the heart of the Trinity, which is a community of love. When we look at the relationship between Father, Son and Holy Spirit, we know there is this depth of profound love that we amazingly get invited into. And that is the, the atmosphere of heaven. That is the atmosphere of this amazing triune being, this three-in-one Father, Son, Holy Spirit being that we just about managed to get our heads around three unique persons, one holy, glorious, pure God. And it's this eternal relationship of love that is the context of all that they do together. Now, Jesus teaching the disciples, he, he frames everything around Holy Spirit within a context of love and with a context of obedience. So let's explore these for a minute. Forgive me that I'm going to read from these, but um, they probably will appear in different order on the screen otherwise. So Matthew 22 Jesus says this, and he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That in and of its own right just thinks, just makes us go, Oh my, wow, how do I? How do I? It's an invitation though, isn't it? It's an invitation to what's coming through the work and power of the Holy Spirit, what is going to become possible. He said, this is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says this in John 13. He says, a new commandment I give you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you're to love one another. By this all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. It's not just that you love me. It's not just that you love your neighbor more broadly, but it's when you come into community, when you knock up against each other, when you do life, I want you to love one another as I've loved you. As we roll through John 14, we start to pick up on these commands that come with a promise. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And immediately afterwards, he says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments, and that's your bit, my bit, I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. And he says, even the Spirit of truth. He goes on from John 14 there to John 20, 14, 21, where he says this, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it's he who loves me. And he follows immediately with that command, the promise, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. There's a tangible reality, a response that comes from God to us loving him and honoring him. He carries on, John 14, 23. If anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. And then the promise comes, and my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. There's this promise, this I will put myself out there. Now, it's, it's, it's interesting, isn't it, that Sometimes we don't know what comes first. Is it my obedience? Or is it his love that enables me to be obedient? And I'm not sure, to be honest. I think there's this beautiful interaction between us, our spirits, the living God, which... He works in us, he woos us, he calls us, he draws us to himself in such a way that we move towards him and we receive a taste of love. We taste and see that he's good. And then our hearts go, actually, I want to honour the one who loves me so much. So we end up honouring him and obeying him. And, And that doesn't cause him to love us more, but we step into greater intimacy with him. As we do so. Jesus goes on, John 15, 9 to 10. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. I've never understood why this bit isn't in a separate verse, like Jesus wept. But he says, abide in my love. I think that warrants another number of its own. (laughs) Abide in my love. I mean, that's profound, isn't it? This is a command to the disciples, abide in my love. 
As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, here comes the promise, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. There's this call, come on, come closer, come deeper. John 15, 12 to 13, he says this. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. John 15, 14. You're my friends if you do what I command. This is his commandment. He's, he's clarifying to the disciples this context of Father, Son, Holy Spirit union of love. He's clarifying this context of our intimate relationship and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And he's saying it sits within this framework of love and love that is expressed in obedience. Like I say, I can't be sure what comes first. I think his love comes first. And he transforms our hearts and he leads us into obedience. You see, when Paul wrote to the church in Galatia, who was starting to try to add things to salvation, add things to the relationship, works to uh, kind of get justified with God, he writes this, I testify to every man who accepts circumcision, i.e. an act of the law, that he's obligated to keep the whole law. You're severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You've fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, stuff of the law, counts for anything, but only faith working through love. See, Paul learns from the disciples. He learns directly from Jesus. He understands this context of love. And actually faith, which is the obedience to the commands. I can trust you, God. I can trust you when you say, if I lay my life down, that actually you'll see me multiplied. You'll see my life bear a lot of fruit for you and for your kingdom. I can trust you. I can trust you to do that. I can trust you to honour you. I can trust you to walk in your ways. Actually, we get that intimacy, that relationship. It's tangible, it's real, it's functional. If we look at the character of the person of the Holy Spirit, who wants to indwell our community of love together, but also our personal, individual relationship of love with him in obedience to him. We start to see that what is difficult to see, what is invisible, is made visible through the person and work of Jesus. Because he says in John 14 that he would send another like me. I'm going to send you another helper. I'm going to send you another like me. The Greek word alos means one besides me, 
So other than me, specifically, in addition to me, but one just like me. So when we want to understand the person and work of Holy Spirit, we know from the person and work of Jesus what Holy Spirit is like. He takes what is invisible and Jesus makes the work visible to us. What are these attributes of Holy Spirit? Romans 8.27 teaches us that Holy Spirit has the attributes of mind, that Holy Spirit has a will and feeling. The Holy Spirit reveals things and teaches and witnesses and intercedes and speaks and commands and testifies. The Holy Spirit is active within the church, active on the earth. We also learn that Holy Spirit can be grieved, lied to and blasphemed. Holy Spirit isn't just a force. But Holy Spirit is the person of God himself. Hebrews 9.14 expresses that Holy Spirit is eternal. In the Psalms 139, we see that Holy Spirit is omnipresent. He's everywhere. Luke 1.35, we see that Holy Spirit is omnipotent, all-powerful. And in 1 Corinthians 2, we see that Holy Spirit is omniscient. He knows all things. Holy Spirit's referred to by such names as the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, Comforter, Holy Spirit of Promise, Spirit of Truth, Spirit of Grace, Spirit of Life, Spirit of Adoption, and the Spirit of Holiness. See, we go back to the Garden of Eden, and that garden was like a temple. And Adam and Eve were there, and they were to be dwelt with by the Spirit of God. By God walking with them in intimacy and in perfect relationship. We know that's all fallen away. But through Jesus Christ, a way has been made. And through his death and sacrifice, taking on himself our sin, our wrongdoing, righteousness is now given to us and we can enter into the most holy place. And we can have a 